in the nativity story. So if you haven't seen that, come on out. It's just a, it's about a 90-minute movie, so we're going to start on time, and we'll get out here by 7.30, which is, you know, pretty, pretty early, comparatively speaking. That's time we used to get out here anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and then we can linger around. So that's kind of what we got going uh, now. And next Sunday morning is uh, the week before Christmas, so come on out. Christmas, it's Jesus' birthday, so let's pretend it is Jesus' birthday. Man, what a conception. What a thought. So that's what we're going to do. So I think that's all the announcements. Anybody else have anything that I may have missed? Okay. Okay, last week I started a, uh, a message, Prepare the Way of the Lord. And I was going to do it last Sunday night, but things didn't work out that way, so I went a different, we went a different direction. So I'm going to finish that this morning. So if you missed out on last week's, I'll kind of give you the highlights if I can, if there's such a thing as highlights, <laughs> without re-preaching the sermon. But uh, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, I mentioned last week that we're always, when we think of the word Christmas, we always think of wise men and shepherds and the manger, and all those things are true. But we need to realize that Christmas didn't start there. Christmas started before Christ was born. It started with John. And John was the forerunner of Christ. And he could, Jesus could not come till John was born. So he's very important to the Christmas story. And we um, talked about uh, Zechariah, which his name means the Lord remembered, and his wife Elizabeth, who is God is my oath and my faithful covenant maker. And we ta taught about how that names in the Old Testament meant something. And that's what their names meant. And whenever they named a child, they just didn't give them a name to be giving them a name like we do today, a name that we like, but they had specific meanings. And that's why J uh, J God had to change Jacob's name, because his name meant Tripper of the Heel. Now, that's a terrible name to go around with in, in your life, wouldn't it? It's a, a bad negative name. And it usually matched them, because when they, before they named their children, they sought God's face as far as what to name them. And then that's why God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Because of that aspect. We didn't want that negative, you know, attached to his name. So, and we know, learned last week also that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both descendants from the priests. They were, in David's time, he split them up into 24 different courses of priests. There was 24 different groups that took turns ministering. And they ministered for a week during the, during the year. And uh, Zechariah was in the eighth court or the eighth week or whatever you want to call it in that group. And there was so many priests during that period of time, probably about 20,000 in, uh, in uh, Israel about the time this happened. And it must have been a holy day or a holiday or some sort because Jerusalem was just packed during this period of time. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they didn't have any children. And that was a curse not to have children. It made it look like God didn't like you. God was angry with you. You didn't have children, then, then there was a curse placed upon you. And so that's what they grew up with, you know, all their married life, no children. And now they were old, and Elizabeth was still barren. But Zechariah never gave up on his prayers, and he continued to pray, and he continued to ask God because he had the history of Abraham, and he didn't have any children. He had children when he was old. So I imagine when he come to God in prayer, he said, Hey, God, I remember Abraham, and if you can do it for Abraham, you can do it for me. And that's the same kind of things that we can say. Whatever we see in this book and we go through and re 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 review it, we can say, hey, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. Sometimes we think that God only answers prayers for other people. 
And that isn't true. God answers us just the same as he does other people. And when we see a prayer being answered, say, hey, God, you did it for them. You can do it for me. And start claiming God's promises and start reminding him about it. And that's what Zechariah and Elizabeth did. They never gave up on it, on their prayer. And so what happened was that God sent an angel to them when Zechariah was in the temple. And his job was, of course, to burn incest before the veil of the temple. And this was just something, a sweet savor up to God. This was done twice a day. And, of course, now, of course, our prayers have replaced the incense in the, in the holy, holy place. And only the priest was allowed to go in there. Now God's opened it up, and we can all come into the holy place and the holy of holies, and we can worship God and we can praise God. And while he was in there, what a, what a weird place for God to show up or some messenger to show up in church. Isn't that? <laughs> but he, an angel showed up, and he told Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. And God is going to give you a son. I mean, instead of Zechariah being excited and doing a, having a Pentecostal fit and doing a dance and jigging around the holy of holy places or the holy place, he says, how can this be? He started questioning God. And so the angel, or God through the angel said, your mouth will be shut. He had to shut him up, shut up his mouth of doubt. And he could not speak for, until the baby was born. He says, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. Until this is fulfilled, you will be dumb. You won't be able to speak. And so after he came out, of course, he couldn't speak. So it was kind of an interesting time because sometimes God needs to shut our mouth. He needs to get rid of the doubt that's in our hearts. And sometimes that means shutting our mouths. And sometimes we know that if we just shut our mouths, we wouldn't have gotten in so much trouble. You know, kids, I used to have kids, our kids, man, they had the smartest little mouths. You know, man, you tell them something, they just smack, oh, they smart mouth, you know, oh, you just want to smack them. And sometimes they did get smacked. You know, that was in the old days when, when we could smack our kids. You know, remember those days? Maybe some of you were a little, little younger, so you don't really remember those days. And that was, those were the days you could get smacked in school. I used to get the tar kicked out of me in school. They used to grab me by the hair of the head and beat my head into the wall because I wouldn't shut up. And I know that's all changed now, right? <laughs> so, but anyway, God had to shut his mouth. And he said, you're not only going to have a son, you're going to name him John. And John's name means the Lord is gracious or shows grace and mercy. <clears throat> So the plan of salvation was going to start, and it starts with grace. And this started the age of grace that we, as, as Christians, call this era that we live in. The age of grace, the reality of grace. It's a day when God's gift was given to man. But John was a preceder to Christ. So he had to be born first. And that's when grace started, when John, with John's announcement of his birth. Now John was to be raised in Nazarite. Now, if you're not familiar with a Nazarite, it, it's a vow that people take that um, they don't eat anything that belongs to the grape at all. No juice, no grapes, no dates, nothing that is made from that. And they weren't allowed to cut their hair and uh, those kind of things. Now, Jesus wasn't a Nazar didn't have a Nazarite vow. He was from Nazareth. They call him Jesus of Nazareth. But Nazareth and a Nazarite vow are two different things because we know that Jesus drank wine and he ate grapes and figs and those kind of things. So we know that he was not a Nazarite, didn't take the Nazarite vow. And that's a lot of confusion sometimes. But John was, and he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth, from his womb. Wow. The Old Testament, like I said last week, they didn't have the opportunity to be able to speak God's word. They didn't have the opportunity to be anointed by God. But John was the first that got to be born, filled with the Holy Spirit, and spent his whole life walking in the Spirit. And it happened when he was born. 
And that's the same thing that happens to us. God will anoint us and fill us with his mighty Holy Spirit when we're born, when we get born again. Then the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us, and we can walk in the same power that John walked in, that Jesus walked in, because it's a birth thing. You're born again, it's just an automatic thing. So you don't have to do anything special to get it, just be saved. Just accept Christ as your personal Savior and say, yes, I want to be born again. And it happens. And that, from that instant, the Holy Spirit comes to live with us and quicken us. And so we get what the Old Testament people would have loved to have had. And only the prophets had that opportunity to be anointed by God and to be able to speak his words with power and authority. We have that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The prophets only got it when God had something to say. So, and this was after the 400 years of drought between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here comes the word. Christmas is about to start. And it didn't happen. It happened to the priest. It happened to the priest in the most holy place in Israel or in the world. And that's where the message of Christmas started. And that's where we're going to pick it up from to now. Because we didn't get, John wasn't born last week. We didn't get to that part. So if you want to turn to the first chapter of Luke. See, that's pretty good. I went through a 35-minute sermon in five minutes. Hey, how about that, huh? <laughs> Getting quicker, yeah. So, and we're going to start in verse 57. It's going to be interesting because I forgot my glasses, so if I have to back away or something to see these scriptures, I'm going to have to do that. Verse 57 of uh, Luke chapter 1. The time came for Elizabeth to have her baby, and she gave birth to a son. Now I'm reading out of the Good News version of the Bible. It simplifies it a little bit without the these and the thou. So. But anyway, the time came for Elizabeth to have her baby, and she gave birth to a son. God's promise finally was being fulfilled. Oh, Elizabeth spent time, and she could feel the baby growing inside her, and she knew the joy of, being, uh, of looking forward to having a child. But this was when the fulfillment actually happened, when she could actually hold the baby in her arms. That's when the fulfillment actually hit her. No matter what's going on in our life, because being pregnant sometimes, if you, know, you men don't understand this, but as a woman you will, being pregnant sometimes was not a fun thing for me. I, got, I was sick the whole time I was pregnant. And I spent most of my nine months in the, in the bathroom leaning over the toilet, you know, visiting Ralph, you know. <laughs> so pregnancy wasn't some, a fun time for me. I don't know whether uh, Elizabeth or had any of those kind of issues. But the day finally came when she was delivered and she held the baby and here held God's promise in her, in her arms. No matter what we're going through in our lives, it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. I preached that sermon a few weeks ago, and that's the reality of it. No matter what you're going through this morning, you have a hope of knowing that it's going to pass. It may be a short period of time, or it may be a long period of time, but whatever it is, it's going to pass. And if it's a prayer you're at waiting to be answered, one day you're going to hold that promise of God in your hands or in your arms, and you're going to be able to see the realization of it. Because if we have a promise, God's going to fulfill it. That's, God can't go against his word. It's impossible for him not to keep his promises. We can break ours, but God cannot break his promises. So we have that hope. But the day finally came, and uh, 
She held the promise of God in her, heart, in her arms. And I can just imagine the joy because the first time you hold your, your child in your arms for the first time as a mother, there, there's just nothing that can, can, can compete or, or can explain the joy that you feel in your heart at that moment of, of your child just sitting there knowing that, hey, that's my baby. That's my baby. And when, God, when Jesus was born, that's what God said. That's my baby. That's my boy. Verse 58. Her neighbors and relatives heard how, wonderful, how wonderfully well the Lord had been, been to her, and they all rejoiced with her. When we have good things happen to us, people are going to, hopefully they're going to rejoice with us. Back in this time frame when someone had a child, it was a family affair. It wasn't just, you know, a, a mild thing. It was a, a party, 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 party time to have a child. And today, you know, man, I don't know what they, what they do now, but when I had my children, I wasn't, we weren't Christians, of course, and we handed out cigars with it's a boy on it or it's a girl. I don't know what they did specifically here, and I don't know what they do now, whether they do those kind of things anymore. I don't know, do they? But something, you know, the proud fathers, you know, they run around. You know, the woman's still locked up in the, in the hospital, and he's out having a, having a good time and rejoicing and calling everybody and telling them how proud, oh, I got a son or I got a daughter. Wow, this is so exciting. And so this kind of thing was going on when John was born. But it was more emphasized because not only did they have a baby, which, you know, wasn't unusual, but for somebody this old to have a child. Now, now we're looking at something a little different. If I had a baby today, believe me, I'd be on the front page of the news front page. I'd be on there. And I'd be on Good Morning America and the, uh, Jay Leno and Letterman and all those other kind of things because I'll tell you, it would not be something that would be normal. I cannot have any more kids. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, And that's kind of the situation here. It was such an enormous event that it happened. And so here they are, and everybody's just sitting there, and, and they're excited, and they're, they're so happy, and they're praising God, and oh, and they're saying, oh, he's so cute, and all those things that happen when, when a baby's born, and, and even strangers, you know, notice when, a, when a, you have a baby, it just attracts, attracts people. They come, they want to see the baby, and then they go, goo, 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 goo. oh, so cute, so cute, and then we sit there and go, yeah, little cute little darling, he's mine, you know, kind of thing. So all that kind of stuff was going on in the family this thing. And I think it's kind of refreshing that, you know, they praised God and they gave the glory to God, and the neighbors acknowledged that it wasn't them, it was God. And that's what I really liked is refreshing. I don't know if you ever watched sports. I know a few weeks ago when um, Florida won the, their game that they won for the go to the championship game, and they interviewed Tebow. Now, I don't know whether you know who he is, but he's the quarterback for Florida, and he's a Christian, and he's the uh, son of a missionary missionary family, and the first thing out of his mouth was, I want to praise my Savior, Jesus Christ, and thank him before anything else came out of his mouth. And to me, that's so exciting to have somebody willing to do that on national TV. Wow! Of course, the national TV don't like it, but that's why they have to say it first, because they may bleep it out afterwards, you know. But that's the first thing out of his mouth is, I want to thank Jesus Christ, my Savior, and then whatever else he said. That's the only part I was really attracted to. You know, here is national news. He's, he won the Heisman Trophy last year, and he was second runner-up this year. But to be able to have these athletes to be able to praise God and thank God, because they aren't going to stop them from saying anything like that, because if they're interviewing him, they're on their turf. You want an interview from me? You're going to listen to my little mini-sermon here, my little thank you, Jesus thing. And that's just so refreshing to be able to see that in today's world. And I just love it. You know, and that just makes you like the guy. 
How can you not like him? Now all of a sudden he's my brother in Christ, you know. I'm rooting for my brother to win now, you know. So Luke, uh, verse 59. <clears throat> when the baby was a week old, they came to circumcise him, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. Now if you're familiar with the customs in the Jewish culture, on, it was on the eighth day that they sacrificed, or the sacrifice, they circumcised, it was a sacrifice of the baby, but they circumcised the baby on the eighth day. And that was the same day that they gave the baby the name. They didn't have a name for eight days. And sometimes I think that, you know, that'd probably be a good idea today because some of these kids have probably wished their parents would have thought it over a little bit closer of what they named them, you know. If you'd have thought about this for eight days, you wouldn't have named me this, you know. <laughs> So, but anyway, on the eighth day, and now medical evidence has proved that it's on the eighth day after a baby is born that the blood clotting ability within the body of the newborn is at its peak. So on the eighth day, that child would be less likely to get any infection, less likely to bleed, excessive bleeding, or those kind of things. So God knew what he was doing when he said the eighth day. Of course, if you were in the, some of the other cultures, they did it when they was 12 years old. I think I'd rather have it done when I was a baby. But anyway, so that's the time that they get named the baby was on the eighth day. So it was a big, it was a circumcision party and uh, a naming party. And they wanted to name him Zachariah. Because that's what you're supposed to do in the, that culture. You name a child after the father. And we do that to a certain degree in our, in our culture today. We name them after the father, or we give it to them as a middle name. Or we call them uh, Junior, or we call it Randy the first, or the second, or the third, and all these other kind of things to know which one they are within that, you know, with that family. And it made it really nice and easy for genealogies, because as you know, Israel was into genealogies because they knew that a, a Messiah was coming and they had to keep track of it because they knew the priest had to, only the priest could come out of this line and only the Messiah could come out of another line. So they were very careful in knowing where their parents, parentage was from. And um, so it was very important. And it was a lot easier to name a child after the father because then it kind of kept that line flowing with less, less problems. But today... You know, we don't really do that because we don't think about our names. We just give them a name. And now we have two names nowadays. They never had two names back in Bible times, but they did have ways to uh, identify which son they were from. We would say Judas Iscariot, Judas from the tribe of Iscar. Or we would have, uh, we would name like John, who was a, a smith, would name him John Smith. Instead of saying John the Smith, it would be John Smith. If you were, you're, um, Job was as a baker, and your first name was John. It'd be John the Baker or John Baker. That's how we got our last names, because we never had last names until they kind of filtered into our, to our heritage with what we did for a living. So, in case, a little, little bit of history there. And we had other names the way to differ, differentiate people. We had uh, John, the son of thunder. James and John, the sons of thunder. Well, everybody knew who that was. I don't know, you know. Because that, they just had ways of identifying them. So they wanted to do that. To, number one, it was tradition. And it was something the whole family wanted. Because it wasn't something that, you know, now we name our kids. And, you know, our families aren't involved at all. But here with the party and everything that's going on, the family had kind of a, you know, a voice and opinion. And so that's what we have going on here. And in verse uh, 60, 
It says, but his mother said, no, his name is to be John. Now, whoa, whoa, back up the train here. Wait, what's going on here? There isn't anybody in your family named that. What do you, you want to do this for? You're messing up the whole genealogy. You're messing up everything. Why in the world are you going to name your kid John? Of course, we know because we read the other verses that the angel told him you're going to name him John. So Elizabeth was ready to fulfill her promise to God, and she was going to name him John. And that's an important thing that we need to do as, as Christians. When we find a promise of God that we stick to, and we know it, it involves something for us, when God grants it, we need to come through. And we need to make sure that we do the same thing that, that we said we was going to do. We need to keep our word, especially with God. It's one thing to break your word to, a, to people, but that's quite another to break your word with God, because we get in trouble that way. And uh, see, verse 61 they said to her, but you don't have any relative with that name. See, they're already getting into the battle here. You can't name your kid John. He's not anything to do with us. We don't like that name. Have you ever named your kid something nobody else liked? Where in the world did you get that name? You know, you, they pitched a fit. They had a hemorrhage over here because of that, because it's ruined up their whole family, because families were more interactive back then than they are now. It went against tradition, and so they didn't want any part of it. Uh, let's see, verse 62. Then they made signs to his father, asking him what name he would like the boy to have. Okay, Elizabeth got her two cents worth in, but the problem was Elizabeth didn't have the authority to name the baby. She could say, oh, this is what I would like him to be named, this is what I want him to be named, but she had no authority to give him the name. Only the father had the authority to name their children. So if he didn't like a name back then, you could blame it on the father because he's the one that gave him the name. And he's the one that had to do it. No one else had any authority to do it. So they started making signs to John. Isn't it kind of funny? You know, John could, uh, Zechariah couldn't talk, so they're doing, doing kind of like sign language to him like he can't see. And that's the way we do too. If we talk to somebody who can't hear, what do we do? We speak louder. Kind of ridiculous, but we do. But anyway, they're making signs to him to find out what are you going to name him? What are you going to name him? Because you have the authority. We're not listening to, to Elizabeth over here. She don't know what she's talking about. You're surely going to name it after our family, our family name, you know. And we have, um, let's see, where is it? Verse 64. Oh, no, excuse me, 63. And Zechariah asked for a writing pad and wrote, His name is John. And how surprised they all were. Now, these writing boards that they had was basically a, uh, was a piece of wood that they'd cut out in some shape or form. And they poured, you know, heated wax and melted it all over the, the board. And then they had like a metal uh, pen or a knife of some sort. And that's what they used to write on with it. And then when they got through writing, and then they just take the thing and kind of smooth it back over again. So that's kind of the writing board that he had. And he wrote on that, John. His name is John. Elizabeth said his name will be called John. So even if Zachariah didn't name him John officially, she was going to call him John. See, you know how we do that? We give nicknames to our kids. Sometimes we give them names that uh, aren't really have nothing to do with their name for whatever reason. Well, Elizabeth was saying, hey, his name will be called John. So you can name whenever you want. I'm going to call him John because I, that's what the angel, that's what God told me to do. So as soon as he named him, Verse 64, at the moment Zechariah was able to speak again, he started praising God. 
For nine months, he couldn't stay and say a word. Nine months, he was just speechless. And the first things out of his mouth was praises to God. As soon as he fulfilled the obligation and he seen the proof of God's promises to him. It wasn't when John was born because he wasn't named yet. So he had to go another week looking at God's promise and, and uh, uh, what do you call it, looking in his heart and being able to realize it for a week and say, yeah, God's true, God's word's true, God's word's true. And you sit there and look at this for a whole week before he could actually name the child and then he could speak. And the first thing out of his mouth was praises to God. That's what we need to do. We need to make sure that everything happens to us. The first thing out of our, lo- our mouth should be praises to God, just like Tebow did when they interviewed him. I thank God. I thank Jesus Christ, my Savior. We need to be more aware of that and more grateful of the things that we say and the things that come out of our mouth need to be uplifting. They need to be praises to God. When good things happen to us, we don't need to just sit there and say, oh, yeah, it was because of something I did. No, we need to give praise to God. And when we do that, it makes the people around us more aware of it. I'm blessed because God has blessed me. I'm going to, you know, I got this because God has blessed me. And then when we do that, we give thanks to God, then God is more wanting to say, oh, yeah, that's my kid down there. Look, look, he's got it, he's got it. And it makes you want to give him more, doesn't it? If you give your kid a, a gift, and they're so excited, and they're thankful for it, and they say, oh, thank you, Mom and Dad, it was just what I wanted, or those kind of things on those Christmas mornings when they were little before they let materialism really get into their heart, and they were excited about anything. Of course, the little babies, I'm kind of excited about them, because you get a little baby, you know, six months, seven months old, they could care less about what's in the package. They like the paper. Just give me the paper. We don't care about what's in the box. And we're sitting there, and we're all excited, unwrapping the gifts for them, but the baby don't care. They just want the paper. But they get excited about the paper. When the kids get older, they want to know what's in there. They want to know, well, that didn't cost very much. I don't want it. But we need to be thankful. And we start gratitude with our children at a young age. We have to teach them to be grateful. We have to teach them to be thankful. And that's why in the old South, they used to make their kids say, yes, sir, no, sir, and thank you, ma'am, and all these other kind of things. Why? To teach them manners. We have a whole generation of, of kids that have no manners, and they think the world owes them a living. Whatever they want, they should be able to get because I am special. But we, as parents, need to make our kids realize that they need to be thankful, not only to us as parents for everything that, that we've done for them, because you do sacrifice for your kids. If you're parents, you know that. You've really sacrificed for kids in order to give them the things that they have. Well, God sacrificed a lot for us. And everything that we have, everything good in our life is from God. And we need to make sure that we're grateful and we're thankful to God for everything that he has done for us. I don't like ungrateful kids and neither does God. And if my kids aren't grateful, it doesn't make, makes me not want to give them anything. Forget you. If you're not going to be grateful, go out and earn it yourself then. Forget it. So... But they were, he was grateful, and he came out of his mouth. Praises and thanks for giving to God. Uh, verse uh, 65. I think that's where I'm at. Yep. The neighbors were all filled with fear, and news about these things spread throughout all the hill country of Judea. Now, this fear is more or less a religious reference. It wasn't be like fear, fear like you would be running away from somebody that's going to kill you or something. This was a reverence, an awe that just through the area, through the air, through the air. It's kind of what we have at Christmas time. There's something in the air that's not there any other time of the year. 
There's just kind of, it, there's a, it's a reverence, I guess. It, it's a reverence that's there that, that no other time of the year when we turn into human beings because of, of Christmas and the things that are, you know, going on. And that's kind of what happened here. Here they've seen all the effects of everything that happened. They had Zacharias in the temple, came out. He'd seen a vision and he couldn't talk for nine months. We have Elizabeth who was very old having a baby. And all these things just not, just messed everybody's theology up. It doesn't work that way. And so they had all these things that they were pondering in their heart, and they had no other recourse than to give God praise and glory. And they, th- and they thought, wow, this is going to be a great thing. What kind of a kid is this going to be because of this miraculous things that's, that's followed him around? And the funny thing about it is God wants that kind of same for us because of our new miracle birth that we have. God wants only the best for us. And when he saved us, he saved us for greatness. John was born to be a great man. Well, every one of us are born again to be great men and women of God. That's God's will for our lives. Of course, sometimes we figure greatness in different terms than what other people do. But God wants all of us to be great and to be powerful in the spirit and to walk in his righteousness. That's God's will for our lives. Uh, verse 67, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Ghost. He named him John, remember, grace, and the spirit of grace started right then. The age of grace was born. And Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke God's message. See, Zechariah didn't, uh, didn't get the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit like his son did. Like we get as soon as we become Christ, we get filled with the Holy Spirit. But at this moment, at this moment of praise and worship to God, at the moment of God's fulfillment and prophecy, the Holy Spirit had come upon him, and he started to, uh, he was moved by the Holy Spirit. In verse uh, 68 and 69, this is what it says, Let us praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to help his people and has set them free, has provided for us a mighty Savior, a descendant of his servant David. He was prophesying all these things because God told him, or the angel told him that he was going to go before the Lord and he knew all those prophecies. As a priest, they were familiar with the Old Testament and they were familiar with the prophecies that led up to Christ. And they didn't understand how they all came to being, just like a lot of us do today. They wonder, how could Jesus be born in Bethlehem? How could he come out of Nazareth? How could he come out of Egypt? All these other kind of things. And we wonder, how in the world does all this? That doesn't make sense. But we understand it. Because we followed Christ's life. They didn't understand it, but they knew certain things had to happen. And Zechariah knew this. And he knew that this was about to happen. Because he's told that he's going to be the forerunner of Christ, which meant the Messiah was going to come. The Messiah, the one that everyone was waiting for from the time of the beginning. They knew that someone was going to come. They didn't know how it was going to work. Throughout the Old Testament, they got little clues here, a little clue there, and they didn't understand a lot of them, but they knew that somehow it was all going to be fulfilled. And Zechariah is anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he speaks, and he praises God, and he says he's going to be a descendant of his servant David and provided us a mighty Savior. Well, we know John wasn't the mighty Savior, so he was talking about Jesus because he was looking forward to the Messiah who had not been born yet, but he knew he was going to be because here's the forerunner. Here's the small baby that Elizabeth is holding in her arms. He is going to lead the way and prepare the way for the Messiah. And, of course, he was talking about Jesus and not John here because John was from the tribe of Levi, 
and the Messiah had to come from David or the tribe of Judah. So in case there's some confusion there, we need to look a little deeper. If you've run into something in the Bible that doesn't make sense, we need to say, hey, what's going on here? How can this not work right? I get a lot of people that say, oh, the Bible's not true because we got one genealogy for Jesus and Matthew, and we got another one in Luke, and they don't match at all. Of course they don't match. The one in Luke is from, one of the, from Joseph, and the other one is from Mary. You had to have two lineage. You had two parents. So that's why they're different. So if you want to know why they're different and why they don't match, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, look, see who begat, who begat, who begat. And they follow Jesus' line through Mary and Joseph's line through the throne because Joseph gave him right to the throne and Mary gave him, you know, the other right. So they ha we have to look at those things, and that's why they're different. And Joseph was only Jesus' stepfather, in case we didn't know that. He isn't the son of, son of Joseph, but Joseph adopted him, which gave him just the rights of a regular son, as if he'd been born his son. He, had, he, he was his adopted son. He had full rights of adoptionship. And I know my husband was adopted, and he adopted my, my children, and they had the full same rights as if they were born from him. And that's the same thing that Jesus had. He had the legal right to the throne, and that had to happen. And God put everything together the way that it needed to. Needed to. Uh, in verse 70, and we're going to read a few verses here. <clears throat> He promised through his holy prophets long ago that he would save us from our enemies, from the power of all those who hate us. He said he would show mercy to our ancestors and remember his sacred covenant. With a solemn oath to our ancestor Abraham, he promised to rescue us from our enemies and allow us to serve him without fear, so that we might be holy and righteous before him all the days of our life. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High God. You will go ahead of the Lord to repair his road for him, to tell his people that they will be saved by having their sins forgiven. Our God is merciful and tender. His he will cause the bright dawn of salvation to rise on us and to shine from heaven on all those who live in the dark shadows of death to guide our steps into the path of peace. He went all the way back to Abraham. Because his audience, even though they were his family, and I don't know whether other people came to, the, to this festivity or not. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he went all the way back to Abraham to say that that's where the promises came from. And then he was kind of again saying, you know, reiterating too that Abraham was in the same circumstances that he was because he had a child when he was old too. So he went through and he said, this is going to be a prophet of God. He's going to be a mighty prophet of God. And he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And without the Elijah, they, the Bible calls him Elijah coming first. The Messiah can't come. So here he comes. Here's the one that's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And he's preaching them a good sermon. He's reminding them that the Messiah is not only going to be the ruler from David, but he's also going to be the Savior. None of the kings in the history of Israel died for their sins. Not one of them. But this one was going to die for our sins. And he was going to give us a true forgiveness from sins that they'd never experienced something different. And this was right at the priest saying, hey, something's going to change. And here is the beginning of it. Something is changing. The forerunner of God is here. He's born. See, he's here. And he's preaching them a sermon. 
Now, would it really be nice to be there when Jesus was born and be able to preach that Christmas message, wouldn't it, with Jesus sitting, you know, laying right there in the manger? Whoa, what a platform. That would have been so wonderful to be able to be the one to preach that sermon. been great. But we just look back to that. But Zechariah and them, they were right there, and they knew that this, this child was going to be great. He was going to be a mighty prophet of God. And now everything that they'd been looking for in their whole lives was going to happen, and it was going to start. And they were so excited. They didn't know how everything was going to happen, but they knew that, that God had set the wheels in motion, and Christmas was officially here. Christmas has started. And so the message of Christmas, yes, it is about Jesus. It is about him coming and being born in a, in a manger. But there were things that had to happen first. And if you were there and as, as, a, as a little girl or a young girl in Israel, you used to dream, especially if you were from the tribe of Judah. Oh, man, you just dreamed that maybe I would be the one to give birth to the Messiah. I would be the one to have that one special child. Talk about greatness wow of course they overemphasized mary's existence more than what they you know needed to but look at you know our president obama they're going around they're interviewing everybody he used to know his grandmother oh his his somebody went to school with him somebody this somebody that and everybody you get somebody famous and everybody wants to know him they want to know hey i want my five minutes in the spotlight with them because hey i knew him or people that say, you know, I was there. They have these Super Bowl games and they watch the greatest play that won the game in the last second. And people say, I was there. I saw that live. I was there. I seen it happen. And it just, man, it just bolsters you up. Well, how would you think you'd be if you was the mother that gave birth to Jesus? Oh, wow, talk about great. Oh, Mary, I'll bet she had a hard time containing herself. She knew what it was. She knew she was going to give birth to the to the Christ, the Messiah, and that was she was the one that was chosen. And Elizabeth, next to giving birth to the Messiah, giving birth to John was the next greatest thing that you could possibly imagine. The greatest thing that could ever happen in your life was this in, the, in their history. And we don't really grasp that when we're looking back in the Christmas story. We don't really understand the promises and things that God fulfilled to people because we live in a different age. But we need to understand, look at something that we wanted so bad in our lives, no matter what it was. The f we just wanted it so bad. And we would have done anything for that. Anything. And that doesn't even compare to the desire that the, the girls in Israel were raised with. And everyone dreamt that they might be the one chosen. They might be that special one to be selected to give birth to the Messiah. Oh, man, what a joy. What a great blessing it was on this day. And we don't get the, the partying that was actually involved in the hearts of the people that were involved because we, don't, we can't understand that because we're not Jewish descent and we don't understand all their traditions and we don't understand all their hopes and their dreams that was placed on one particular child. And then when they sit there and they gazed upon John knowing, oh man, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Just like us when we look forward to heaven and we look forward to Christ coming and taking us home. Oh, we get so excited. Some, at least we should get excited, especially with all the world that we live in today. We get so excited knowing that one day I'm going to be in heaven and one day I'm going to run those streets of gold and I'm going to be so excited and I'm going to eat all that stuff that isn't going to end up here. 
I'm going to end up, oh man, you know, you just get excited about it. Why? Because it's something that we realize. And the Spirit speaks to our heart and we know that it's true. And we look forward to it more than we've looked forward to anything else in our whole life. And this was their lives. This was their lives. The lives of their people. The lives of every individual Israelite. This was it. And yet, it isn't just for Israel. It isn't just for the people of Israel. It's for us. Because the Messiah didn't only come just for them. He came for us. He died for all the sins in the world. He came to be born in a manger for every one of us that's here this morning. And oh man, as I look back and I, th- and I think about that day when the re- realization that the Messiah had come. And that he came. And not only did he, did he, was he born in a manger, but he died on a cross for my sin. All of a sudden my life changed. And everything in my life became new. And I was a new creature. And all of a sudden everything in my life had changed. Well, everything in Israel changed at this time. Nothing would ever be the same again. And there's nothing that has ever happened in the history of mankind that ever changed the world like the Christmas story. Nothing. They've tried to stamp it out. They've tried to get rid of all our manger scenes. They've tried to get rid of everything that they can get rid of to get rid of Christmas, say happy holidays and all this other kind of garbage that they do. But they cannot defeat Christmas. Why? Because it isn't something that can be beaten because God has a promise and God will fulfill his promise. He will fill his promise to this world and to this earth. We don't have peace on earth right now, but one day we will have it. And one day we look forward to the peace on earth that we're going to have. We don't have to look at the past. It's good to look back there and we remember all these things, especially this time of year, to be reminded of what God did for us at Christmas time. Even though it's the time of the year is, is not the exact time, nobody knows what it is, it doesn't matter. This is the time we celebrate Christmas. And this is the time we as Christians need to be so excited about it more than anybody else. We shouldn't have a bah humbug attitude. If we have a bah humbug attitude, then we need to go back to the Christmas story. Because the Christmas story is one of joy. It's one of happiness. It's one of peace. It's one of excitement for all of us. Because it was the day that God became a man. And because of that, he offered salvation to all of us. So salvation and grace was born in the Christmas story. Verse 80. The child grew and developed in body and spirit. He lived in the desert until the day when he appeared publicly in the people, to the people of Israel. John, because his parents were so old, they probably died when he was probably still a young man or very young. And so after, I don't know whether, it doesn't give a lot of detail about those things. You know, the Bible only gives the things that we need to know. And we know that they, he, wrote, you know, he grew up, obviously. <laughs> we see him getting born, and the next thing we do, we see him preparing the way of the Lord. And we have this one scripture that covers his whole life. He developed in body and spirit, and he lived in the desert until the day when he appeared public to the people of Israel. He had, a, had the Holy Spirit anointing him, and it kept him in the position that he was in. Now, this desert area, I mean, we, you know, we live in a desert, but 
you know, it, it still looks pretty nice around here. The beautiful views and things. But where this desert was that John was in, it wasn't pretty. I've been over in Israel. I've seen this area. And it is not someplace I would like to spend any time. You wouldn't go there for a picnic. You wouldn't go there to pick cactus because there isn't any cactus either. There's nothing. It's just barren. Barren area and barren land. And this was God's training field for John. And he spent his, most of his life, or actually about all of his life, in the desert. And then he moved to, of course, the Jordan River where he, you know, baptized people. But for 30 years, this went on. And at the age of 30, that's when the, the history or the tradition of Israel was that uh, you actually became a man. And at age 30 is when that you could actually be able to step out and have a ministry or be a rabbi or be in anything. But until then, you didn't have any authority to do so. And that's why Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. So John started his ministry about 30 years old, and he had six months worth of preaching and teaching. He had six months. He had the whole 30 years before that that God prepared him in the desert to be able to be the forerunner for, of Christ. And he had six months worth of ministry that he preached God's message to the people to repent. Because that was his message. Repent, for the day of the Lord is coming. Repent. And that was his message. And he preached for six months until the day that Jesus stood on the horizon. And the mantle was passed and said, this is the lamb. This is the one. This is the one I'm preparing the way for. But without John, see, John gathered all the public together. It was John that did the preaching, so it was a lot easier for Jesus to come in because he didn't have to gather the people originally. Make sense? Jesus did all the, uh, John did all the early work for Jesus before he came, and he prepared the way and made people ready to receive the Messiah. And, of course, the story of John's life would have been really prominent through the area. They would have known the history of him because it's that, something like that just doesn't, you just don't forget it. So that was um, going on. <clears throat> and sometimes when God puts us in a place where he's preparing us for ministry, hopefully it isn't 30 years, hopefully. <laughs> but it doesn't matter where God places us. Wherever he puts us, he's going to help us and train us to do what he wants us to do. Because we, in, a, in a essence, are doing the same thing as John did. We're preparing the way of the Lord for our family. We're preparing the way of the Lord for our neighbors. We're preparing the way of the Lord for people that we know because we're Christians. And we have to prepare that environment so they can receive Christ. If people don't like God because of the way our, we live our lives, we have a problem. But when God blesses our life and we give glory to God and they can see the life that we have and see the way that we can handle circumstances in our life, we're preparing the way. So when they do hear the gospel, they can make a decision for Christ. So John prepared the way for Christ and we're still the ones that need to prepare the way for our neighbors and for our friends. And the worst thing that we can do at Christmas time is not acknowledge Christ. The worst thing we can do get so involved in all the things that's going on and forget about Christ. I got a little poem here I wrote to remind me about Christmas. And the title of it is, Do I Understand Christmas? As the Christmas season is at hand, I wonder if it's meaning I really understand. Has the time of Christmas just become a time of exchanging gifts and fun? Have I commercialized it within my heart? Are Santa and his reindeer of my Christmas part. Will I remember the ones I hold dear and forget what it stands for again this year? As I look back to a Bethlehem stall, 
will I see Christ alone? And that's all. The most important event that took place and the true meaning, it seems, I'm trying to erase. Christmas is the day that a king came to earth. Love in action is viewed at his birth. Christmas is the day salvation began, the day that Jesus took the form of man. A day the angels of heaven proclaimed that this child born would one day reign, King of kings and Lord of lords, the truth, the light, the way, the door. Wise men traveled o'er hill and dale to see the one that would never fail. Shepherds came to fall at his feet, and now on his birthday, his name we don't speak. Lord, help me to remember your birth and all you gave up to be born on this earth. May you come first on this special day, and throughout my life, may you lead the way. This Christmas season, let's include Christ, especially. Let him be prominent in our, Christi in our Christmas. And make sure that our neighbors are aware that we do serve the one whose birthday we celebrate. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father.